Welcome to A Penny for Your Thoughts, a podcast brought to you by Sean Bloomgren and Andrew Penny live from Central Iowa. On this show, we discuss all things agronomy, high yield management, and our goal is to give you real-time updates on what we're seeing and hearing in the field. We're going to gain in- insights from industry professionals as we bring you relevant and timely information on current agronomic practices. Welcome to the third episode of A Penny for Your Thoughts. Andrew, how are you today? Doing really good, Sean. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Uh, we're uh, we're learning as we go here. Um, uh, we're we're good at agronomy. We're uh, slightly below average at uh, podcasts, but we're trying to get better <laughs> at that. So, um, in uh, you know, just kind of in 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 line with what we're trying to accomplish here, uh, kind of excited to bring a guest on as as harvest starts. Um, Andrew, uh, why don't you introduce our guest today? Absolutely. Uh, happy to have this, this uh, guy on here. He's a, a good friend, great guy, a phenomenal agronomist, uh, Matt Nelson. So, so Matt, uh, how are you doing today? Uh, take some time, please, to uh, tell us about your background, you know, where you went to school, uh, what you do now, and anything else you want to tell us about you. Well, th- first off, thanks for having me this morning. Uh, your, your last episode with Darren was excellent, so hopefully I can uh, come close to eclipsing the high bar that he sent uh, <laughs> Talking about SDS, a very important topic, especially here in Central Iowa. Um, Story of yeah, my life, I, I, there, Matt. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Always, yeah, always having to, always having to follow somebody. No, um, I live in Ames, so uh, I cover. Uh, I'm a Bayer agronomist as well. I work with the Channel brand, and I cover 13 counties here in Central Iowa. So from Guthrie and Green over to Iowa and Benton, uh, right in the heart of the state here, and. I'm an Iowa Stater, uh, Andrew, like kind of like yourself, and I know that's a, that's a big week here in the state of Iowa with the uh, football game this weekend. So my, <laughs> it is. my it, absolutely my my background is soil science uh, here at Iowa State, and then I actually went on to the University of Nebraska to get a master's degree in weed science. Oh uh, boy! Oh boy! How do you spell Nebraska? How do you spell Nebraska, Matt? Um, and for, well, everyone knows that knowledge starts with an N, right? I, uh, I, I mean, I don't want to shut the podcast off. I guess I didn't do enough research. I, I, uh, I will defend that, uh, at, at the end of our podcast, hopefully he'll, uh, he'll share his Twitter handle, which is how I first started following Matt's agronomy advice. And if you get on there today, you'll see primarily Iowa state, uh, Iowa state taunts towards the, uh, towards the eastern part of the state so we'll <laughs> we'll let the nebraska part slide but uh matt super excited to have you today and, and appreciate you taking some time to spend with us um i've enjoyed following matt uh matt matt's an excellent agronomist like andrew said and, and really just kind of aligns with our vision i think of helping growers understand at a high level what's happening in their field and how to think about management before we get into management though uh, matt the last time you and i saw each other was actually at the Farm Progress show. So tell me what uh, tell me what observations did you make uh, from the exciting show in Boone this year? Yeah, I I always love the Farm Progress show. I think uh, while some people see it maybe as a bit of a dog and pony show, it's it's really a lot of companies that are on the forefront of innovation and new ideas in agriculture, and that's what I really love about that show. And the, the two things I really picked up are about creativity. And you'll kind of hear that from me today as a theme of some of the things I talk about, doing things a little bit differently. So the I think the UAV technology has really grown dramatically. I remember when I first got mine over two years ago, I was not sure how I would use it. And it's, it's in my truck pretty much every day now because there are really cool things that I can do with it. And I think whether it's spraying or using them to identify weeds, 
Uh, that technology is evolving rapidly and the size is evolving rapidly. They had one at the show that I think you could even climb in and take up in the air um, oh, yeah. above the canopy. <laughs> um, and then also just kind of parlayed with that, right? Some of the new weed control technologies between the, uh, like the weed sensing sprayers. Uh, I, I think that there is a, there's a huge potential for that technology to impact if we can get it kind of some of the kinks ironed out. And also um, to some of the things we're looking at with these new, new harvesting technologies um, in terms of, you know, we may have to do some harvest weed control uh, in the future. And that's kind of going to be, the, be the, one of the themes I know we're going to talk about today. So I'm excited to dig into that a little further. I was, I was thinking um, when the guy was in the, in the UAV and, and flying it, I thought, you know, I, as neat as that technology is, I think I'm probably going to be maybe like a third or fourth generation adopter of the, uh, uh, the uh, the ride on uh, UAV. I crashed enough <laughs> drones in the field uh, with yep. the remote control to know I'm not ready to sit on one. But um, you, you you spoke um, you spoke about weed control, and um, I guess between conversations with with you and Andrew, um, uh, let's let's kind of dive into that. Let's let's talk about you know. Oftentimes we think about weed control as as pre and post. I know my mind right now is fixed on, um, you know, thinking about the combine, but you guys have pointed out there's there's a lot to consider as we go into harvest. So, um, Andrew, kick that conversation off and let's talk about um, let's talk about September weed control. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think this is perfect timing. Um, you know, as I had a conversation with Matt yesterday, you know, it, it's pretty easy this time of year to to just focus on on yield and harvest. You know, I, I think we put a lot of time, passion and, and, and really a lot of energy into you know, the, the crops that we raise, you know, just thinking about what we do, how we do it, the time we spend doing it. But, but I think this is a really good time of year to be looking at, at weed control, right? This is, this is where we can see what, what weeds broke, you know, the different species um, and, and maybe make, make some decisions for 2023. And so, so I'm curious. So, so we got a couple of great topics to talk about uh, regarding weed control and thinking about next year, Matt. Um, I, I'm curious, kind of what, what are you seeing now and, and what are some of your thoughts on, on weed control this year? Yeah, it's a great, great. Now's the time to have this conversation, right, as we're starting to near harvest. So I actually think in, in soybeans, the, the weed control in general is is a touch better this year than I saw it last year. Uh, last year, I think, was very rough. And there were some reasons for that, um, ma- mainly caused by weather. Um, in, in soybeans, though, primarily this time of year, you're still seeing some water hemp above the canopy, some smaller plants that you can tell probably emerged late and came up through the rows. And, and still volunteer corn and soybean. That's one that, boy, I, I don't I don't have a great understanding for why we don't do more to control it. I know they can be difficult as they get larger. Um, those are the two things that I've seen most of in soybean this year. And we can kind of get into that. But the, the thing that I really wanted to talk about is weed control in corn, primarily yep. considered to be easier than in soybeans. And, and I, I tend to agree with that notion I have walked a lot of fields the last month, Andrew, and I'm sure you have, and Sean, you as well. And I'm a little alarmed by the weed control in corn this year. It seems to be much poorer than I remember it being in years past. Much more escapes, much larger weeds. And I think think there are going to be some consequences for soybean fields next year as we rotate from corn back to beans. Yeah, I, I've seen the same thing, Matt. Uh, I'm right there with you. Uh, I'm curious, are there any species of weeds standing out more in corn uh, th- than others, maybe? Yeah, that's a great question. So uh, there's obviously some water hemp, but primarily it's it's large seeded broadleaves and grass species. So when I when I say as a weed scientist, you have you know lar- 
you have your winter annuals, your summer annuals, your grasses, but a large seeded broadleaves, uh, the way that I always define them are your, your think those seeds that are just larger, your cockerburrs, your velvet leaves, um, your giant ragweeds, your sunflowers. So starting yeah. to see a, a more of those in corn. And I think velvet leaf is one or buttonweed, depending on how, which common name you prefer, has kind of been on, on a comeback tour here the last three or four years. And I've really started to see more of it this year. And then, of course, you do have some of those uh, skinnier, taller uh, water hemp plants that you can tell broke through the weed control this year. And I, I, I've got some I've got some reasons for, for as to why I think this happened, but I'm curious. I'll ask, I'll flip, I'll flip the script on you two, uh, Sean and Andrew. What, do you have any, any notion as to why we may be seeing some more weed pressure in corn this year? Yeah, well, that's, that's, that's go, ahead. go ahead. Well, you know, I was just going to say, it's a really interesting topic, right? So if you think about 2021, we had probably one of the, the most efficient growing seasons we've ever had. So both, both in terms of the speed that we put the crop in, um, and, mm-hmm. and, and I think, frankly, when I think back to the limited water, I know sometimes that can make our, the activation of our pre's a, a challenge, but I think in general, we're better off, um, you know, when, when we have, when we have control over that environment. And so, you know, we were planting a lot of corn, you know, last year we were done planting corn, uh, late April this year, we were starting to plant a lot of corn, uh, on, on May 20th. And so to me, I just right. think that window, um, that window puts an awful lot of pressure on that chemistry. Um, but Andrew, yep. I'd be curious your perspective. No, I, I'm right there with you. You know, you, you look at, um, I, th- I think a lot of people try and match up their pre's in, in post with, you know, w- with and around planting. And, you know, you look at the, the impact that, that the environment and moisture can have on, on our, our herbicides and our residuals. You know, whenever I'm talking corn, you know, it, it, it's pretty safe to say for the most part, we're, we're all using a, a group 15, a, a lot of group 27s, a lot of group 5s. And, and you look at the, the water requirements that, that some of those products have for activation um, and, and how that can impact residual, good, good or bad. So, you know, you look at um, when some people started planting corn, you know, there, there were some that got uh, got some corn in, you know, that April 15th, give or take, very, very few. Um, but a lot of guys didn't start planting until that May, you know, May 5th, May 10th. Uh, and, and a lot of corn didn't get in the ground till till later. So, so yeah. you look at the impact that, you know, getting trying to get your pre on, you know, focusing, getting that pre on early before you plant corn. You know, there was a lot of pre's, I think, that went on in April. And you, right. look, you, look at, you look at some of the requirements um, that those individual active ingredients have to not only activate, but, but what impacts the residual. So you look at all that rain we got. So there, there's a lot of factors that, that go into, you know, how, how well that, that active ingredient binds to the soil colloids. Um, there, there's just right. a lot of stuff that goes into it. And so that's what I think a lot of it was this year. I, th- I think there was just such a huge gap between when those pre's got put on the amount of rain we got, we got in, in between, uh, you know, pre, pre's and, and planting dates, and then and then the weather after that. So it, it was just a, an, another strange year, which is kind of the norm. But it's just, uh, you know, I, I think that's kind of what has brought this this conversation on with you, Matt, and, and why I kind of wanted to pick your brain and go a little bit deeper. Yeah, and I think I think uh, you guys are correct, and I'm going to kind of dive in a little bit heavier and give you a little a little weed science 101. So as we talk about these soil applied herbicides, Andrew, you mentioned it. All of them have some sort of requirement for rainfall for activation, and, and tillage can be used for some of them as well. But we talk about group 15s, your long chain fatty acid inhibitors. You've got your your metolachlor, your dimethanid peep, your your acetochlor, those types of products. Almost all of those require a half inch of rainfall, 
as yep. you move to your your 27s, your HPPDs, the labels maybe don't say specifically, but in general, we like to assume the same or even more rainfall, maybe three quarters of an inch. So obviously you need some moisture to get that activated. And when we, when we say activated, what we mean is we want that herbicide to leave the soil colloids and go into solution in an area where the seedlings are germinating, which primarily is the top two inches of the soil. Yep. As I mentioned, those large seeded broadleaves, if you're paying attention at home, Part of the reason I think we are seeing more pressure, Sean and Andrew, is because they can germinate much deeper in the soil. Uh, velvet leaf is especially adept at that, up to three to four inches. So I think that's part of the reason. Uh, as, as we've gotten more pressure, we're seeing more of those large seeded broadleaves grow up uh, and germinate deeper in the soil and kind of stay below where that herbicide is at. And, and um, while some of that is maybe absorbed into shoot tissue, we're also maybe, maybe missing some of it. I think the biggest issue we saw this year in corn was something that Andrew alluded to, and that was a lot of pre's. In April, we had a few windows around Easter and then the three or four days towards the end of the month where conditions were okay, but not good enough for planting. So in both crops, a lot of farmers used that opportunity to, to spray their pre-emergence products. It was warm enough during the day where you could get some burn down activity from a, 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 a post herbicide, and we knew rainfall was coming. So we yep. got those products activated and sprayed early. The challenge was, as you mentioned, um, Sean, that we did not plant much corn until mid to late May. And most of these products provide 30-ish, maybe a little bit more or less, depending on conditions, days of residual weed control. Whereas emerging seedlings come up, the, the root and the shoot tissue contacts these herbicides and it provides control. So the problem was really one more of timing. We're, we're so trained to know that we want to put our pre's on early and our pre's on before we plant. And I think that's noble. But in a year like this, by the time we planted corn, either due to rainfall or just simply timing, those pre's were no longer effective. And that allowed weeds to start to come up. And what I think happened was by the time we got around to spraying our post products on the 20 inch corn or, you know, some of those like a lotus has like a 30, 30 inch label. Those weeds were pretty large. And as you know, it's kind of weeds, weed control 101. It's easier to control small weeds at less than four inches than it is larger weeds. And I think specifically with regards to water hemp, that's where we saw and are seeing more larger escaped weeds in corn right now. And also I think when we went to spray those, those post applications, if we're talking about, you know, mid June, we had already started to turn dry in this area. Now we were still wet. We had all that early June rainfall, but I think it was a, a, really a, an issue with timing. And I think that's where I kind of urge some, some creativity. Think differently about getting your pre on as early as you can and more about spraying when you know weeds are emerging. And there's a there's a really cool chart that we'll maybe have to link in this episode, Andrew and Sean, that the University of Wisconsin has produced with when the bulk of our summer annual weed species emerge. And that's the other issue that's at play here. If we're applying a pre in mid-April and it's still cool out, we don't get emergence from species like common water hemp, ivy leaf morning glory um, until mid-May, more like May 15th. Yep. So that that the life cycle of that pre might expire before we even have some of our most problematic weeds start to emerge. And I think that's where we need to think a little bit differently about trying to get our pre on as early as we possibly can. And instead maybe apply pre products we can think of as a pre, maybe even early post to better match up when weeds emerge, especially if you're doing tillage. We almost need to consider the tillage in this area as your burn down or your pre and start to try to shift those applications a little bit later into the year. Yeah. And I've always I've always heard that, you know, the planning for a, a one pass system is the best way to start a three pass system. So um, 
Um, let me ask you kind of before, before we move into what's relevant today, a, a question that's really just on the front of my mind is when I think back to that, that May timeframe, you know, you mentioned a half inch of rain, maybe a little bit more to, to activate and make effective the group 15 and group 27s. What about, what about my four inch range? You know, it, 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 it seems like the weather, uh, continues to act very erratically. So we've obviously experienced heavy saturation this year and, and then at times, um, extreme need for rain. But when I think back to my late May and early June, you know, it didn't, it didn't seem like I was getting that, that nice half inch rain. I was getting two and a half. There was a, a week period where I think we got a four inch followed by maybe a, a five or six inch rain. Yes. How, how does that affect these chemistries, Matt? Question. So, you know, that obviously we want that herbicide in solution in the top part of the soil. The problem with that much rainfall, Sean, is it, We've almost got too much moisture now. It's activated. We're in solution. We start to move that band of herbicide deeper and deeper into the soil. And at some point, we can almost inactivate those residual products because too much of them has moved too far down the soil. Essentially, we have diluted the product. And there are some, there are some weeds that ha have a little bit of metabolism to products like acetochlor and metolachlor, where they're maybe still getting some of the herbicide, and maybe we're controlling some of those weeds but certainly not all of them. And I think that contributed here in central Iowa. We simply thinned out our, our pre-products with the you know large amount of rainfall that we got in those two, those two events in early June. So that's certainly another issue that's at play as well. Yeah, absolutely. Well, so, so bring us up to date, I guess. So we, we, we kind of know, um, or we've talked about kind of how we arrived here today, but as you're making these observations in the field and as we're about to start harvest, what, what, what's the relevance? What do I, what do I do with the information I'm accumulating as I'm, as I'm scouting? And then obviously as we start combining these crops. Sean, that's a great question. And I'll, just a, a kind of a personal philosophy here. I was, I was trained in graduate school to never solve a problem and think it's solved without giving a recommendation. So we've talked about how we got here as an agronomist. It's my job to provide a recommendation that's actable. So a couple of things we can do first, as you're, as you're harvesting your beans, your corn, Take notes of what fields have heavy weed pressure and also what those weeds are. Is it giant ragweed? Is it common water hemp? Uh, is it grass species? I've actually, it's one thing I did mention. I've seen a lot more grass pressure in corn, and I, I suspect that's due to maybe glyphosate being pulled out of some of these cornfields uh, due to price or availability or maybe sure. the availability. I, I've definitely seen more grass pressure. So that's the first thing you can do is take notes of which fields are the weediest. You can also blow off your combine with an air compressor, leaf blower, whatever it happens to be, after you harvest one of those really weedy fields. That's a great way to move weed seed around uh, if we don't do that when we harvest a field that's got really heavy weed pressure. So there's, there's a couple of things for yet this fall. As we go into next spring, I mentioned creativity. I kind of mentioned moving these applications around. I think there are a couple of things that we can approach differently. One of those is in soybeans, taking our traditional pre- and instead of applying it three weeks before, can we think about, you know, obviously we can't apply some of those uh, PPO inhibiting herbicides that are pre-products on emerged soybeans, but can we use our growth regulators in group 15s with tillage um, before planting and, and use that pre-application as an early post, maybe at, on V2 soybeans? That gets us into a time when we know weeds are emerging and hopefully gets us the, our pre more synced with weed emergence. And then from there, plan your, your, your late, your, you know, your, your mid post, your late post with something like glufosinate. I think there are, 
where there are ways we can better sync up what we're doing in soybean. And that also might alleviate some of the herbicide injury concerns that we've seen on young soybean plants, because this year, Metribuzin specifically caused a lot of injury to young soybean seedlings. So there's a way we can be creative in soybeans. In corn, going back to high management and creativity, Sean, I think in central Iowa this year, with that amount of rain that we got, not only did we lose some weed control, we lost nitrogen. There's just no question about it. And you can see that now as you drive through central Iowa, there's a lot of corn showing not just drought stress, but also some nutrient deficiency stress as well. I think using a late post as a chance to also maybe do what we call a weed and feed, where you're applying a post product, maybe some sort of residual herbicide, and then you're also trying to find a way to address and add some additional nitrogen. As we continue to have those large rain events, like you mentioned, I, I've been recommending to everybody, start to think about ways when you can, where you can add nitrogen in season. I think one that's better for the environment compared to maybe doing everything in the fall with anhydrous. And two, I think that's also delivering some fertility when your crop needs it the most. Uh, and, I, and I think there are, there's room to start to do more of that than we're currently doing. I don't, I don't think you could have said that better, Matt. You know, I think, I think this is a prime example of, of where maybe the pathology world and, and the weed science world overlap because, you know, when, as I talk fungicides, and, and this will be a, an additional topic on, on our podcast at some point, but, you know, I, I think there's a lot of guys focused on just that tassel application in corn. Uh, and so it's, it's one of those situations where in, in reality, mother nature should, should kind of dictate when that application gets made. You know, if, if you're super wet, high, high humidity before tassel, you know, two weeks before tassel, you'll probably see a better return on investment if you make that a- application then. And, and I think this is, this ties in with, with kind of what you're going to, you know, I think we have a, we have some good charts out there that show, you know, the rough GDDs of, of those, of those weed seeds, you know, what they need to germinate and emerge. And so if we focus less on, on a specific timing, you know, pre and post, you know, when, when we're, when we're planting and, and focus more on when those weeds are actually going to emerge, I think our efficacy of our, our residuals, pre's post, you know, burn downs will be that much more effective. No, I really, I really, I really love, I really love this conversation. And, and um, it's, it's, it's always fun to me. Um, You know, the challenge is just how complex of an environment that, that we, that we try and grow these crops in. And Matt, your, your concept of creativity, I think is, is just really valuable because I think kind of regardless of the topic today, we're talking about weed control. Um, but, but whether it's controlling diseases like tar spot, whether it's feeding our plants, um, you know, the, the important nutrients that they need, um, certainly we want to, we want to be, uh, creative in the way that we do that. Cause what is abundantly clear 2020 wasn't like 2021 and certainly 2021 wasn't like 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and I think just listening to both of you talk, it really emphasizes the importance of having a great team of people around you. Um, that are open to uh, creativity and and just frankly being willing to respond to what's in front of us, I think is really really valuable. So, um, awesome conversation. I love I love that we have some takeaways. Give us um, give us maybe uh, Matt as 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 we kind of transition here. Give us what what are you excited about today um, as as we approach harvest and as we start to think about planning for next season. Yeah, I, I, I think, um, well, one, soybean yields, I know we planted later here in central Iowa, but I, as I've spent some time in soybean fields, the weather here for, through our 30 corridor with some of this, some of this rainfall 
um, is really going to give, especially the mid to fuller season group twos into the group threes, a chance to really add on some, some late yields. So I'm, I'm excited. I know, you know, maybe attitudes are all over the board, depending on your rainfall, the very, you know, the variability from zip code to zip code has just been immense this year. But I think, I think there's potential for some really nice numbers uh, from a soybean perspective. And I, and I also think I'm excited to see people dig into their data and learn a little bit more about what worked this year. Um, this is where I encourage people. If you've got a digital ag platform, this is the year to use it. The variability will be so wide from field to field that I think you'll have a really good chance to learn how different products performed and handled stress. You'll have a chance to learn, you know, what, what went well this year and what didn't. And, and also, um, You'll you'll probably learn how unlucky you were with, with, in regards to rainfall. There's some big rains across <laughs> the 15 mile area. Um, I've had some farmers joke that they're tempted to just turn the yield monitor off this year. And while I understand that, I think this is one of those years where you can learn a lot. Uh, as a as an agronomist, it's been it's been a, a huge learning year for me as well because this is not not typical conditions. And it, you're right, it was different from the year prior. So I encourage take learn your lessons where you can. Uh, some some spots of, of the fields might be rough, whole fields might be rough, but there there are a lot of things I think we can learn from this year and, and apply to next year. And one of those, in my opinion, is that our June and Julys will continue to be dry and stressful, and our Augusts and in, into September will continue to have good conditions for growing, and that might yep. require us to start to shift our our maturity selection, what we look for in products on, on in both corn and soybeans. Uh, I, I think there's there are this 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 trend of the larger rain events, the drier Junes, Julys. We've seen it enough years that uh, it may be time to start adjusting to that. Well, Matt, you you started the show with talking about um, creativity and and you know using the backdrop of the Farm Progress Show. But one of one of the goals of this podcast is to allow our listeners to have access to um, creative and talented agronomists. Um, it would be impossible uh, to extract all the value we could get out of you uh, in, in one podcast. Um, tell our listeners if they want to connect with you and, and learn more about the way you think about yield management, high yield, um, uh, cropping systems, weed control, all that kind of thing. How do we get connected with Matt Nelson? Absolutely. You can find me on Twitter where Sean mentioned you'll see plenty of Iowa State <laughs> sports takes, but also a, a, a heavy dose of agronomic content as well. So my Twitter is mnelson underscore ISU. And uh, my messages are open. Shoot me a message. I, I send an agronomic newsletter out about once every month and a half or so. And it's it's not product. Fo- I, I'll never mention a product in it. I'll never mention um, trait systems in it. It's all just agronomic things that I'm seeing out in the field. I just put a newsletter together about grain fill and kind of what I've seen from pollination and, and where we're at from a growth stage um, and, and how I see us progressing to get to the finish line. So if you're interested in that, please shoot me a message. I, I've got a, a distribution list that I just send to anybody who asks for it. So um, I appreciate you guys giving me this platform today. And uh, I love that you've put together this resource for farmers who are looking to stay up to date on conditions and also start to learn more and, and maybe push their knowledge a little bit. Well, Matt, we love we love that you're bringing us a, a different perspective, and and you know you can get kind of zeroed in on 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 what you're thinking about. We we really appreciate you telling us about um, kind of what's top of mind for you, Andrew. Um, as we as we wrap up today, uh, tell us tell us what we should be excited about uh, over the next week. Yeah, I, I think similar to Matt, you know, I, I'm still super excited about a, a lot of the yields we're going to see. You know, I've, I've been having a lot of conversations with growers. Um, I, I think this is going to be a year where we do see kind of that stair step increase in yield with some of the later maturities, uh, both in corn and soy. 
Um, you know, but, but I, I've still seen a lot, a lot of uh, extremely good looking cornfields. Um, and, and so that's, that's the one thing I'm still excited about. You know, we, we put a lot of time and, and energy into this crop and despite some of the, the rain, you know, the, the wet spots and, and dry spots where stuff maybe senesced a little bit early, I think there's still going to be some extremely good yields out there. So, so that's what I'm still excited about. We've got a, uh, we've got a special guest coming up. Don't give it away. Um, but, but, uh, maybe, maybe give our listeners a little tease. Yeah, so I'm super excited about our, our next guest. You know, we've, we've got some extremely great feedback uh, on this podcast. Um, you know, we're, we're definitely gaining traction. Uh, I think people like the idea of, of just a, a brand agnostic, uh, focus on agronomy, high yields uh, type podcast. So, so we got an industry leading expert on, on Tarspot coming up uh, next, uh, next for our guest. So I'm super excited. I love it. Um, Matt, uh, thank you again for spending some time with us this morning. We will put a link to Matt's contact information in the podcast notes. Um, Andrew, thank you for uh, providing your penny worth of thoughts. And we look forward to joining you guys next week. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Matt. Thank you.